at least got one person excited to be here today. If you have your Bibles, turn to the second chapter of Ruth. We'll con continue our study in this Old Testament book of history as it shows um, important practical lessons as well as um, just showing the overall sovereignty of God even in the lineage of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and how through so many different ways uh, he brought things together in, in a way that we never could have imagined uh, to, to bring people to the right places and as we're seeing here in, in the book of Ruth. Uh, this amazing story. So as we continue in our gleanings from Ruth, we'll read chapter 2 this morning, and uh, the title of the message is Refuge Under the Wings of God. Refuge Under the Wings of God. Now beginning reading in chapter 2, verse 1. And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth, of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabitess, said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him, in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless thee. Then said Boaz unto his servant that was set over the reapers, Whose damsel is this? And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, It is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and hath continued even from the morning until now, that she tarried a little in the house. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field. Neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field they do reap, and go thou after them. Have, have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art athirst, go into the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes? And thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger. And Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath, it hath fully been showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband. And how thou hast left thy father and thy mother and the land of thy nativity and art come unto a people which thou knowest not heretofore. The Lord recompense thy work and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel under whose wings thou art come to trust. Then she said, Let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for that thou hast comforted me and for that thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaid, though I be not like unto one of thine handmaids. And Boaz said unto her, At mealtime come thou hither, and eat of the bread, and dip thy morsel in the vinegar. And she sat beside the reapers, and he reached her 
parched corn, and she did eat, and was sufficed, and left. And when she was risen up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and reproach her not. And let fall some of the handfuls of purpose for her, and leave them, that she may glean them, and rebuke her not. So she gleaned in the field until even, and beat out that she had gleaned, and it was about an epith of, bar of barley. And she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and she brought forth and gave to her that she had reserved after she was sufficed. And her mother-in-law said unto her, Where hast thou gleaned today, and where wroughtest thou? Blessed be he that did take knowledge of thee. And she showed her mother in the law, in, in law with whom she had wrought, and said, The man's name with whom I wrought today is Boaz. And Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord, who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said unto her, The man is near of kin unto us, one of our next kinsmen. And Ruth the Moabitess said, He said unto me also, Thou shalt keep fast by my young men until they have ended all my harvests. And Naomi said unto Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that thou go out with, this, with his maidens, and that they meet not, thee not in another field. So she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz to glean unto the end of barley harvest and of wheat harvest, and dwelt with her mother-in-law. That's a long reading, and there's a lot that takes place in this chapter. But really, you know, if, if you really get down to it, it's really one big event. It's just all in, in one chapter, and there's a lot of stuff that we can unpack there. There's two or three different places in here that are probably very familiar to you, things you've heard before, like handfuls of purpose, like that statement. We're not going to really focus a lot on that one today. We're looking at the big picture of what's going on in the book of Ruth. Uh, what, is, what, is, uh, what are we being taught by this chapter and by the, the characters of this chapter and, and kind of what's going on in the story of Ruth, the big picture? So first, just by way of review, if you remember in chapter 1 um, uh, of Ruth, God's hand, according to Naomi, had fallen hard on her. You remember? She said, the Lord hath dealt bitterly with me. He is, he's just, you know, he's against me. He's, he's clearly just, he's removed himself from me completely. There's nothing good. Um, I just need to go back to my homeland and die, basically, was kind of her mindset. She was really in in just a bad shape and and sometimes we all can get there it's it's easy to do um it's not it's not something that's foreign to all of us sometimes our faith gets tested and we can fail those tests temporarily <laughs> we can take our eye off what we should and and we don't see what's going on behind the scenes and that's really where we find uh, Naomi and Ruth in chapter one um remember she said I went away full and the Lord hath brought me back empty and we kind of unpacked that at the very end of the last message. There was a lot of negative stuff in that first chapter, but we ended on kind of a better note. We talked about how that Naomi really just wasn't in the, her right mind. Uh, had God actually brought her back to her homeland empty? Well, no, she had Ruth. She had Ruth with her. Uh, God had ended the famine, so she was coming back at a time when there would be uh, plenty for uh, the people to eat. <coughs> so, so there were some positive things that she was just, overlooking and it's it's so true so many times of how people can do that one negative thing happens and the sky is falling everything's undone it's the end of the world you know i might as well just stop now uh, we our human nature leads us in that direction 
And so that's where we find Naomi and Ruth. And then at the very end of the chapter, you remember there was that little glimmer of hope as um, it says that when they came back, it was the beginning of barley harvest. And so you kind of think, oh, okay, well, maybe they'll be okay because they're coming back at a good time. Now we enter into chapter 2, and we're going to spend a little while on those first seven or eight verses because we have uh, a couple of characters in the story here that we can glean a lot from, and one of them is a new character. So our first point this morning is Boaz, a man of God. Boaz, a man of God. Now his name means in him is strength, and that's, that's a really interesting name. It doesn't mean strong man. It doesn't mean as in bodybuilder strong man. It says in him is strength. That's what his name really means. Now, Boaz, this is kind of shocking for some of you who've read the Arch books uh, when you were growing up and all that. Boaz is most likely, according to most people, about 45 to 55 years old. He, he's, he's not a young man at this point. He, he's an older, not older. I'm not going to say older when I say 45. I'm not going to say that. He, he's, uh, he's young middle-aged. Let's call it that. <laughs> Let, let's, uh, let's, let's call it that. I don't want to call him older. But, but I think, you know, when you just kind of hear the story of Ruth and Boaz, you kind of think of them as the same age, when likely they were not. So likely he's, he's 45 to 55 years old, somewhere in there, what most, most people believe. We don't know that for sure. That's, that's mostly a guess. But uh, because of his status and his sitting with the elders in the city and, and those kinds of things, uh, they can kind of determine he was probably older than, than Ruth. Ruth was most likely more around 25 years old. You remember they, they were probably married, you know, in, in their teenage years, and then she had been 10 years without children. So you kind of add that together, and you'd get mid-20s somewhere. So, so kind of different, different age groups there. But Boaz, we learn one thing about him right away. And so it kind of gives you just the beginning of the chapter in the first five or six words all of a sudden, the whole picture changes for the, the state of Naomi and Ruth because it says, And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth. So you remember when she said in chapter 1, I don't have any sons for you to marry. There's no hope. There's nobody that can redeem you. You might as well stay here. There's nobody for you to marry back there. All of a sudden, that's not true. There is a kinsman. There is someone. Now that word... Once again, I've heard a lot of sermons out of the book of Ruth on just that topic, on the kinsman redeemer and what that is. We're going to get into that a little bit more in chapter 3. It becomes, we're going to get there, but it becomes more important in chapter 3. So we're going to just kind of, right now, we're just going to kind of move over that a little bit. But it is an important concept in their culture and, and what it means for us as far as the gospel. And we're going to get to that. But Boaz, we learn, is a relative of Elimelech. <clears throat> Uh, Naomi's long-deceased husband, and, and immediately then we realize things are maybe not quite as bleak as Naomi had suggested. And, and so Boaz is kind of like a, a, this character that comes in that gives a little light in the story. Now it says first in verse 1 that he is a man of wealth. Man of wealth. So one thing we want to view about Boaz is that he is a man of wealth. He's a man of means. And this is actually very important to the story. Um, because he, he has the, the means and the ability and the standing and all of those things to redeem Ruth and Naomi because they're destitute and they need someone to help them. So God has blessed Boaz greatly with means and with wealth. 
and that will eventually be used uh, to redeem Elimelech's widow and, and daughter-in-law. We're jumping ahead, way ahead in the story there. But I think most of you are familiar with the story. So what does the Bible say about wealth? I think Boaz is a great example of someone who God blessed with wealth that he uses that in a, in a good way. So what does the Bible say about wealth? Well, Mark 10, chapter, uh, chapter 10, verse 25, says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, I've heard all the you know, commentary on that. Well, that's actually because there was a gate and you have to, you know, the camels had to get down there. Look, it's just saying it's really hard, okay? We don't have to unpack it that much. It's a difficult thing um, for people who have a lot of means and wealth. And, and so let's just get to the heart of that real quickly. Why do you think that is? Because men of means and of wealth can depend on themselves a lot easier than someone who doesn't have that. If you're poor, you're used to being dependent. You're used to looking to someone else for your uh, you know, way to live and all of those kinds of things. So it just naturally comes that a man who has wealth and, and can really provide good things for himself, it's easy for them to fall into the trap of self, um, self-reliance and I can handle things myself. And so uh, it, it makes sense to say that it's, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. First Timothy 6 gets a little more practical than that. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 and 18 says, Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, and here's the key, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. I think that's the easiest passage for us to go to and really see what does the Bible say about wealth because there's several key things here that it says. Number one, it says exactly what we just said about Mark 10, 25. It's, it would be easy for a rich man to begin to trust in those riches. And I don't know about you, but my experience has told me that those things can come and go very quickly. Have you had times of really good financial situation in your life and by that I'm not talking about being mega rich I'm talking about you had enough to pay your bills and everything was going well and you you had enough to provide for your family and then there's been times when I thought it's it's the 28th you know (laughs) I don't have any money and I got bills coming up and I don't have any money coming in what am I going to do okay so those things can be very fleeting and he says charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded in other words they get arrogant about it and trust in uncertain riches but in the living God so don't allow wealth the first thing I think we learn from the Bible about this is don't allow wealth to make you arrogant that you trust in uncertain which riches so it can it can build you up to a point that you become self-reliant <coughs> and for the Christian we must not ever become totally self-reliant um, if we're self-reliant we're in big trouble because we have absolutely nothing to bring to the table. All of those riches, all of those things. I, I, had a, I talked at a, a noonday at, at Shannon First Baptist this week and, and to a, a crowd of people, and, and we were talking about Christian education, some other things, and I, told them, I was talking to them about perspective. And I said one of the best perspective verses in the Bible is, is that one of these days, guess what? All of this stuff's going to burn up. You know that it says that in the scriptures that all of this stuff that we worry about and concern ourselves with so much, one of these days is all going to burn up. And it's really not that relevant. We have to have a proper perspective. And so wealth can, 
can kind of change our perspective to the wrong. So don't let wealth make you arrogant. The second thing, and I think probably the most important thing, is what we see in the middle of that verse in, in 1 Timothy 6. Don't place your hope in wealth. In the middle of that verse, it says that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. So, you know, um, reminds me of the story in the New Testament. You know, the, the farmer was real successful and the crops were just coming in. And what did he say? He said, I'm going to build me some more barns so that I can store up all this stuff. And I'm just going to take it easy. And I got it made. And, and look at me. And all this stuff is going to happen just like I think it's going to happen. And what did it say? You're a fool. Because this night, your life is going to be required of you. Your spirit's going to be required of you. All of that stuff is, is, it cannot, you could have all the money in the world. You could buy Twitter. You could have that much money. You, I mean, you, you could have billions and billions of dollars, and you can't buy your way out of hell. Do you know that? You can't buy, you can't forgive one sin. Uh, indulgences that were done during the Middle Ages, they really thought that. They thought you could just pay the church and get forgiven of your sins. That's not, that's not biblical. It's not right. All the money in the world can't save your soul. So don't trust in riches, but trust in the living God who give us richly all things to enjoy. A little side point here before we go to our last, what we want to learn about it is, is that one of the things I like about this verse is there's balance. Did you know it's not evil to be rich? God hath given us all things who give us, us richly all things to enjoy. If you work hard and you make money, it's not evil to enjoy that at all. And, and, and you, should, you should rejoice in that, that God has blessed you. That's a good thing. So it's not evil to be rich. But then the last thing we want to learn from it is use your wealth to do good and spend it well. So they that do good and they that be rich in good works, uh, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. And we see all of these things in Boaz. Boaz is a man of God, but he's also a wealthy man. But we see in him in chapter 2 <coughs> that those things haven't gone to his head. He's not arrogant. His hope is not in his riches. And we see that he's willing to do good to those who are less fortunate than him with what God has blessed him with. So we see a lot about the character of Boaz, that he was a man of wealth, but that he handled that wealth very well. It's one of the things that's always kind of stepped on my toes a little bit is because I believe this is true. I believe God blesses us with what he thinks we can handle. You know, um, I'm not mega rich, so maybe that tells me something, <laughs> that God knows I can't handle it, you know. But I, I believe that's true. Even, the, even if that steps on my own toes a little bit, I believe that that's true. And, and Boaz had been blessed with much, and he was able to handle the, the, the wealth that God had given him, and he did it in a godly way. Now, another thing we find out about Boaz so all you young men, pay attention. Maybe one of you will be wealthy one day like that. Um, so these are, these are just practical things we can learn from these characters. The second thing that this passage clearly shows us is that Boaz is a man of God. So it's, it's interesting as, as we're reading through the story and we get down to verse 4. It says, And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless thee. Now, what does that have to do with the story? I mean, why, why would the writer of, of Ruth say, you know, it's really important that I say when Boaz walked up what he said to his servants. Really, it really has no place there. It's just, I think it was to show us the character of Boaz. These are Boaz's servants. These are not his brethren. These are not fellow elders of the city. These are, not, these are people who work for Boaz. And yet he comes up 
and the way he addresses those that are below him, that are beneath him, is he says, the Lord bless you. So if you want to know a lot about a man's relationship to God, observe the details of their life in their business and with their family and with others, especially those who are less fortunate or lower than them in authority. And we see that in the life of Boaz. Evidently, Boaz was such a godly man that his business and his relationship to his servants was characterized by it. He greeted them with God. Um, so I guess the, the way that we would bring that to the present would be if, if, God, if somebody followed you around all day at work and you didn't know it and they saw how you interacted with those around you, would they leave that evening and say, that's a man of God, that's a person who who is godly in the way that they deal with others and, and even in their business. I think that's a great test for us to think about, and, and it, it speaks very well of Boaz uh, in this chapter. So not only is he a wealthy man, but he's also a man of God and, and a man who, who serves God. Now, as a side note, um, we're going to be getting into Wednesday night into our study on, on critical race theory. It's really interesting. Boaz had servants. Do you notice that? He's a man of God, and he had servants. And the Bible doesn't rebuke him for it. However, we can clearly see in Boaz's dealings with his reapers here that he treats his servants well. And the Bible, although it doesn't say thou shalt not have servants, there's no 11th commandment. doesn't say you can't do that. That's, that's against the rules. That's against the law. It does regulate. The Bible regulates how servants are to be treated and how servants are to interact with those who have authority over them. And we see a picture of that here with Boaz and the way that he treats his servants. There's, there's a lot of even little details, and I don't want to take too much time to get there, but I'll just kind of mention this briefly. Not only in the greeting do we see that, but we see that in the way that he feeds his servants. We see that in the way that he takes care of them in the evenings and the way he talks to Ruth about what she can do and that how he is going to take care of her in that, and, and he's going to command the men not to uh, trouble her in any way. But it says that Ruth ate enough that she was sufficed and took some leftovers with her. He, he clearly treated his servants very well. So that speaks also to Boaz's character and that he was a man of God. Now, secondly, what we want to see from this first introductory part of the chapter, we looked at Boaz, so all the young men. That's the example that we look to there. Now, now we're going to look at Ruth. So our second point is Ruth, a handmaid of the Lord. A handmaid of the Lord. So... We're going to see several things that, that point to that in Ruth's character and some things that we could emulate from Ruth's character. And especially for young women, I think it's good to look at her as an example of, of some practical things we can take uh, to live for the Lord in your own life. So the first thing we want to see is Ruth's initiative to care for Naomi. Ruth's initiative in caring for Naomi. So, you know, in the first chapter, let's go back a little bit and remember, <coughs> you've probably heard this at a lot of weddings. Uh, you go back to chapter 1, and you see where that Ruth makes this speech in verse 16, Entreat me not to leave thee, nor to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. Whither thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. That last phrase is really important. We'll get to that in a little bit. But she makes this, this grand gesture, this, this big speech, and says, I'm, I'm with you. I'm tying myself to you, Naomi. Did you know that words are, are really easy 
and actions are a lot harder. <laughs> it's one thing to say, Naomi, I'm with you, and I'm going back with you to the land. Well, now they're there, and, and they've got to find a way to have some food, and they've got to find a way to sustain themselves. And so she's with her mother-in-law, who is older, and we see Ruth's initiative in verse 2. When uh, in chapter 2, verse 2, And Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. She didn't wait on Naomi to tell her to do it. She didn't sit around and hope that somebody would give her a handout. Um, she didn't go sit on the corner. She said, Let me go work. Let me go out in the field and let me do something. Listen, if there's a lesson that our society needs to learn from the Bible today, this is probably one of them. This is probably one of them. My generation, I will tell you, one of the things that embarrasses me a little bit about my generation is the work ethic compared to the previous generation. I think there is a vast difference in that. And there's, there's no excuses for that other than to say we've been wrong in that. Ruth took initiative, and she went out. She didn't wait on somebody to come, you know, give her instructions or anything. Initiative, I think, is the best word to describe what she displays by immediately seeking to go work and provide for herself and Naomi. And um, that means that she didn't wait for the reaping recruiter to come to her house and say, here's, here's the field, here's the directions, here's everything you need to do it, here's your tools, here's your back. She went with purpose and went out and provided for her and her mother-in-law. So why did I go back and mention her promise? Because like I said, words are easy. Actions are harder. Not only did she pledge herself to Naomi, she backed that up. She took initiative to follow through on what she had promised. You know, I, <coughs> this is a little bit humorous, but I couldn't help but share it. There's a meme. I love it. I saw it on Facebook recently in the last couple of weeks, and it shows a young boy pushing a push mower. And I, when I say push mower, I'm not talking about one of those modern ones that's self-propelled and all that. I'm talking about one of those old-timey ones where you really had to push. And he's just leaned into it, you know, and he's pushing. And the title of the meme is, uh, it, it reads at the bottom, Go Fund Me in 1985. Okay. You know, nowadays, if people get down or get destitute or, you know, fall on hard times, the first inclination is everybody needs to help me. Everybody, everybody else just needs to just throw in and, and figure this out and, and get me back on my feet. Instead of, I need to go work. I need to find something to do, and I need to go take initiative and go out and work. And I know you're, you're thinking, man, this isn't a very biblical message. This is all about work. That's a biblical principle for us to do that. Uh, the Bible also says he that doesn't work, what? Shouldn't eat. So, so initiative is important, and I'm, I'm blurring the lines, and I knew I would because I'm also going to talk about Ruth's work ethic. But, but uh, the initiative is, is really what I'm talking about now, the fact that she was willing to just get up and go and do it. Now, spoiler alert here. We're going to do that a lot through this book of Ruth, cause, and most of you already know the story, and I hope you've even read ahead. I think that would be beneficial. But spoiler alert is that God is going to bless Ruth in a major way. And her faithfulness to Naomi, her initiative, her work ethic, all of those things are setting the table for God's blessing. That's what's going on right now in this story. So all of those things God is using to bring about a major blessing in her life. And now God doesn't need her help. I'll make that very clear. God doesn't need her help. And that's not what we're saying at all. But there are clearly in the Bible blessings for obedience and chastisement for disobedience, and we experience that in our life here as believers. And in her obedience, God is going to bless her in that. But because she was, because she took initiative, because of those, He's going to bless her for that. 
in her life. The key to understanding this uh, properly is to see that, that these blessings that, that may come, um, they, they may or may not come in the way or in the time that we think they should. So, in other words, I'm not saying that she did this, so then God reacted to it and blessed her. That's not it at all. Uh, and, if, and if nothing had ever happened between her and Boaz and she went the rest of her life, she's still right for doing right, and God's right as well. Um, that's not the, It may not be in the way or in the time that we think it should be, but one of the key lessons of the whole book of Ruth is that God is working all of these things together for our good and his glory. It's one of the overarching themes of the whole book. Uh, God is moving in a mysterious way his wonders to perform in the life of Ruth and Naomi, and not only that, also in mine and your life as well because of the ultimate consequences of what's going to take place in the lineage of Ruth. What an amazing thing. Now, secondly, we see Ruth's humility. So first, her initiative. Second, her humility. She knows uh, how to take initiative without um, being presumptuous. She goes out, like we said, and she says, pray, let me glean and gather. Uh, this is according to the servant. He's telling Boaz what she said, that she came up and basically said, please, let me uh, do this and, and kind of come behind the reapers. <laughs> she doesn't demand a handout. She has humility in this. She doesn't presume the right to even glean. Now, here's the interesting part about that. The laws in Israel would have allowed her that right. As someone who is destitute, you can go back into the law and you can see that they were supposed to allow them to come behind and, and pick up the afterpiece. So, so there was kind of a right there, but she didn't depend on that. She asked. She came, went straight up to them. Uh, in all humility she asked please if she could come behind them and so they give her permission to do that so uh, she's able to come behind them and and glean basically the leftovers after the reapers are done and she even asked permission to do that so we see her humility and we're going to see it even more later on um, when she has her face-to-face conversation with Boaz Uh, we're going to see even more humility there but for now we see it in that uh, Matthew fifteen twenty seven and 28. Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs, to which Jesus responded by extolling her faith. Ruth, Ruth knows that same concept. She sees herself as that dog that's eating the crumbs under the master's table. She doesn't come in and demand her rights. She doesn't come in and say, you are required by law to allow me to reap in this field. She comes humbly and asks, and, and is, is content with what she is able to reap behind the reapers. So she knows how to take initiative, and in that she's also meek and humble. Now the third thing we see about Ruth, and, and I've, I've ruined this one. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, so we'll do it real briefly. Initiative and hard work are hard to put uh, in two different categories. But Ruth is a hard worker. She has a good work ethic. That's the third thing. Uh, she, she is a, a hard worker. It says when the, when the servants are telling Boaz what has happened that morning, they said she came and asked, so then she started working, and she's been working all day. She took one small break in the booth. Other than that, she's been working all day long um, without stopping. So she was a hard worker. Uh, there's no doubt that that is put uh, in this story for a reason so that we would see that as part of Ruth's character, that she is... Uh, She takes initiative, she's humble, but she's also a hard worker. And I'll just say this to everybody here. If you're a Christian, you should be the best employee that your employer has. I say it all the time. My job is kind of unique because we're kind of a ministry. We're we're, 
um, we're not a church, but we are a ministry, and so we only hire Christians. You have to be a Christian to work at TCPS. It's part of the requirements for the job. And so I say, we shouldn't have any employment issues. <laughs> I say it all the time at TCPS. Uh, if you're a Christian, you should be a good employee. Um, and, and the Bible is very crystal clear on that. And we should uh, be model employees, model servants to those who have authority over us. And we should be willing to work and, and work hard. So we see that in Ruth. She worked from sunup to sundown, took that initiative, but did it with lowliness and then has that hard work ethic. Now, so that's our characters that we see, and, and Boaz is the new character. We see a little bit more about Ruth, who we were introduced to in chapter 1. So now we're going to get into kind of the story itself, what's taking place in the story. So our third point, we have Boaz and then Ruth. Point number three is God's merciful providence. God's merciful providence. So we talked about God's providence in chapter 1, that he, he, it wasn't a surprise to him that they had gone to Moab. It wasn't a surprise to him all the things that took place there and the famine and all of those things. God's providence was at work in all of those things. And yet now we're going to see God's merciful providence as they come back to the land of Naomi. So in verse 3 it says, And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers. This is an important, important text for us. It's going to be one of the key ones that we look at today. <laughs> and she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and her hap, that's important, and her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. Now, I don't know about you, I don't use the word hap in conversations very often these days. It's my hap that I wanted to go to eat Mexican today. Um, so what it basically means is the, the storyteller, the, the person who's writing Ruth, is saying it so happened. That's what it means. Now, we can take that in different ways, and a lot of people will take that in different ways. So it just so happened that Ruth, who is the wife of one of the sons of Elimelech, who had gone into a far country, all the men had died, it just so happens that when she comes back and she just so happens that when she went out of her house to go reap that she ended up in exactly the right place at the right time in the right field with the right reapers. You know, that you'd have to have about as much faith to believe that as you do to believe in the Big Bang. People who don't have faith, they have a lot of faith. Did you know that? It takes a lot of faith to not have faith in God. That, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever that it just so happened that she went to this field. So she happened, she happened to come, um, and I think the writer there, I think that's intentional that the writer left it that way. There's an answer to it, and the answer can be given later. It's not given here. It actually is given later. At the very end of this chapter, we're going to come back and kind of wrap everything up with Naomi again at the very end of this chapter. But for right now, he just says, well, it's her hap that she ended up in Boaz's field. Uh, and God was very gracious and, and sovereign in that. Even when he's silent in the text, we can read between the lines and see, as, as the Proverbs say, 16, Proverbs 16, 9, a man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directs his steps. So I believe that it wasn't this kind of, of happenstance 
You know, oh, it just, it was luck that she ended up in the right field at the right time. God directed that. He directed her to the right place at the right time. And so uh, as we think about that, that's one of the important lessons of this whole book is that when we go back, I think to understand that passage, we need to also understand chapter one. So when Naomi said, all of this that's happening, it's of God. You remember I told you, I said, there is one little thing about Naomi. Yes, she's bitter. Yes, she has kind of been blinded to the goodness of God in those circumstances. But there's one thing that she was absolutely right about. She said, God is in control of all things. And, and he's dealt bitterly with me. She didn't realize what he was doing in the long term. But she was right that God is sovereign. And so now in this chapter, we're going to start to see the other side of that. It's kind of like the song that we sang, um, God Moves in Mysterious Ways. It said, these clouds that we so much dread are big with mercy and will break in blessings on your head. Well, chapter 2 is when the clouds start to break and the rain starts to fall. And the rain is blessings, uh, not cursing. So, so Ruth here um, in this story, we're going to begin to see that this hap, that she ends up in the right field, is God's direction. And it's going to be for her blessing and for Naomi's blessing and ultimately, even as I've already said, for our blessing. So God is in control. That's one of the major lessons. Uh, I'm kind of running short on time. Uh, I think here we've taught a lot on the sovereignty of God. I think you understand that. This, this verse is a support to that, not a problem, when it says that she happed uh, to be in that field. Now, then she asked a very, very important question, and we want to unpack that. So now let's look at um, verse 10. Because on down in the text, uh, this is when Boaz approaches Ruth in verses 8 and 9. And he says unto Ruth, I want you to pay attention. That's what it means. Hearest thou not my daughter? In other words, you need to really pay attention to this. <coughs> don't go to another field. Uh, don't go away from here. You make sure that you stay by my people. Let your eyes be on the field that they do and you follow them. And I've charged the young men that they won't bother you. And when you're thirsty, you can get water. Uh, anything that you need, they're going to provide it for you. And then look at verse 10. Number one, in verse 10, we see her humility again. Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes, that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? So Ruth asked a question that a lot of times we ask in negative circumstances. It's really interesting. She's asking this question in very positive circumstances. Have you ever had the loss of a loved one or a tragedy happen in your life? Or like we said, things just don't seem to be going away. You lost your job or, or whatever it might be. And you're sitting at home in the privacy of your own mind. And you're thinking and you're praying and you're asking that question, God, why? Why is this happening to me? Why would you allow this to happen? You know, that question, why, is a difficult question. Well, Ruth asks it from the other perspective. She's talking to Boaz, and she says, why? Why would you? I'm a foreigner. You don't know me. And you walk up, and all of a sudden, you're just pouring all these blessings out on me. Why, why would you do that? So it's a really interesting question. So she fell on her face, bound to the ground. Why have I found favor in your eyes? Why would you take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger or a foreigner? Ruth knows that she's a Moabitess. She knows, uh, and she doesn't resent that. She accepts it. She knows she's a non-Israelite. She doesn't expect any special treatment. And, and what her response really here is, is actually astonishment. 
Have you ever felt that way? Like, you know, man, what in the world is going on? I'm just astonished by how this has turned out. So she's de- very different from most people today. We, we're kind of the opposite of that. We kind of expect kindness and are astonished when it doesn't happen, right? We kind of get the other, other direction. But the truth is, and I love this quote. I, I want to read this quote to you. Um, rather than trying to paraphrase it, I think it's just better to read it to you as it is. Humble people are made even more humble by being treated graciously. Grace is not intended to lift us out of lowliness, but to make us trust in God all the more. That, that, is, that is so true, if, if we really understand where our blessings are coming from. So Ruth's real question here is, why would you help me when I'm a stranger and I'm poor and I'm destitute? And why have you treated me so graciously? Now, verses 11 and 12 are very, very important. So let's read that. Boaz answered and said unto her, so he gives her an answer. You know, sometimes we ask that question, we don't have an answer. Boaz is going to answer the question. And Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath fully been showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left father and mother and the land of thy nativity, and art come unto a people which thou knewest not heretofore. The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Now, this answer, I think we have to be careful with it because there's a way we could misunderstand it, and then there's a way that it, what I think the real meaning of the text is. And there are two vastly different ways of looking at not just this situation, but our own lives and the world in general. So what does the writer want us to think here of this answer from Boaz does he want us to think (coughs) that this grace and kindness that was shown by Boaz is because of the works that Ruth has performed in being kind to her mother-in-law and all the things that she's done and that she's humble and that he's heard from his reapers what a good person she is I'm going to say certainly not that's not the case it can kind of seem that way at first glance but if Ruth had earned the favor of Boaz If she earned it, then he is indebted to her to pay that back. There's a debt there. So if if it's if he's saying, Well, the reason I'm doing this for you is because you've earned it. It's not it's not any grace on my part. It's just that you've earned it and I owe it to you. So I'm just following through on what you've earned. Is that the way we see this picture? Was Boaz under any obligation at all to help Ruth? Absolutely not. That's why it's called grace. It's unmerited favor. It's not that she earned it. So it's certainly not that it's her works. That's not the image that we're to see here unless we just take it you know, at the extreme surface level. And believe me, some of the commentary I read on this was, was unbelievable. Uh, but we can see that that's not the case. So verse 12 gives us the answer really to this passage. It's really in verse 12 that we see the key to unlocking the answer to Ruth's question of why. Boaz doesn't say, I'm going to recompense you for your work And I'm going to give you a full reward because you came to me because I'm important Boaz and I'm I'm going to fix you all up because I'm a man of wealth. It's not his answer at all. Now, who is the instrument that God's using to bless Ruth? It's Boaz, but Boaz knows that it's not him. He says very plainly in verse 12, The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel under whose wings thou art come to trust. That last phrase is the key to the whole thing. And that's why the title of our message this morning is, is Refuge Under the Wings 
of the Lord. She sought refuge under God's wings. So Boaz says in verse 12 that God is really the one who is, is rewarding Ruth um, for her love to Naomi. And Boaz is only the instrument of God, as we'll learn um, later on from Naomi. But the words when he says, the Lord recompense thy work, uh, that's a picture that we see when he says this phrase at the end. The picture is of, of God as a great winged eagle and Ruth as a little threatened eaglet. And she's finding safety under the eagle's wings. So the implication of verse 12 is God is using the instrument of Boaz and his wealth and position to bless Ruth because she has sought refuge under his wings. Now, it's, it's very common uh, teaching in the Old Testament. You could go to the Psalms in many places. We're not going to take time to turn there or, or, or uh, delve into that. But uh, be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful for in thee my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of thy wings I will take refuge. Uh, now, in our text, at the end of verse 12, it says, uh, Under whose wings thou art come to trust. I like that, but the ESV I like too. It's where you get the word refuge. It says, Under whose wings he, you have come to take refuge. Very similar concept, but I like the word trust because that's really what this is about. So we must ask then how, how Ruth's love for Naomi and her leaving her own family relate to seeking refuge under the wings of God. Because those two things are kind of being conflated here in this, in this definition. And the most likely scenario is, is that the reason Ruth did what she did is because she had come to trust in the Lord, even in a foreign land. And because of that, because of that, we see the fruit of that in her life, in her pledging herself to Naomi and going back to Naomi's homeland. Because you know why? Because that's where the God of Naomi was. And that's where she wanted to be. She didn't want to go back to her people and go back to their customs and their culture and their religion, she had come to trust in the Lord God of Israel. So that's, that's the most likely thing, and that's what makes this answer make so much sense. So the relation between taking refuge under God's wings on the one hand and all these things that Boaz commends her for, for caring for Naomi and, and leaving her homeland and all of those things are 100% related. Uh, the fact that she had come to trust the Lord we see the fruit of that in her life, in the way that she has dealt with Naomi and in the way that she's working and the way that she's come to Boaz, the way that she's presented herself. All of those things are the result and the evidence of taking refuge in God. It's not the other way around. It's not that Ruth did all these things and then God said, okay, that's a good person. I'm going to give her shelter under my wings. She sought the Lord and then she found refuge under his wings. And we are no different. Now, I'm, I'm going to, I listened to a sermon by Brother Lewis from John chapter 3. It was fantastic. You ought to go listen to it. And he made this statement, and I'm going to make the same one. I'm not going to go back and unpack all of that. I think we understand that here. When I said she came to the Lord, she trusted in the Lord. We know what's all behind that. She didn't do that either. That's not a work either. But we don't have to unpack that. I can simply tell you today that if you come to the Lord in faith, you will find shelter under his wings. If you come to him in faith, now we know that there's a lot behind that. <laughs> That's not anything that you can work up on your own. But if you do that, you will find shelter under the wings of the eagle. And we see that in the life of Ruth. So the answer in summary, that's kind of complicated, I understand. But the answer in summary of this question why that she asked is because God has sovereignly called Ruth to himself. 
and he is also then sovereignly working all things together for her good and his glory. And it is not the works of Ruth or Naomi, it's the sovereign will of God in their life that is calling all of these things to come to pass. And it's such a beautiful story that we get to just see unfold one little layer at a time, one little layer at a time. It's going to continue to unfold as we go through the book. Now, our fourth point this morning, and we need to quickly uh, begin to get towards the closing, is the message of the gospel in Ruth chapter 2. The message of the gospel in Ruth chapter 2. So go back now to Ruth's question in verse 10. Why have I found favor? Well, the answer is, is that she has taken refuge under the wings of God and it has given her freedom and desire to be able to leave home, to be able to leave her, her own kin, to love Naomi in the right way. And she's not earned that mercy uh, from God or from Boaz, but God has provided it for her because she took shelter under his wings. That's the message of the gospel in the Old Testament, and that's the message of the gospel in the New Testament. God will have mercy on those who humble themselves and seek refuge under his wings. Uh, Matthew 23, 37. Matthew 23, 37, it was where it says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets, stonest them that are sent to you. How often would I have gathered you together as a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. Behold, your house is forsaken and desolate. Isn't that an interesting picture with what we just heard about Ruth? Now, we all know, like I said, what's all behind that. Um, and, and there's a lot of unpacking that could go with that. But the simple, the simple truth is that those who God has not chosen will not humble themselves. And what I believe, and I think this is really important, it's not just that they will not, they cannot. They cannot. They cannot come to God. There is, John 6 is very clear. The only way that you come to the Father is if he draws you. There is a lack of ability there. And, and I, I promised myself I wouldn't unpack all this, and it's really hard not to do. Such a beautiful truth. But that's the truth of the Bible. It's not that um, they have an equal chance and they made a bad decision. It is just simply that they do not have the ability because God doesn't draw them to himself. But he has drawn Ruth. And in, in such an amazing way, in such amazing circumstances. And so when we see her, when we see Ruth falling on her face before Boaz, saying, I'm astonished at your grace for me. I'm a foreigner. I'm not bringing anything to the table. I have no wealth. I, I, I came back broken from a foreign land. That's a picture of the gospel. If you've never found yourself in that position, then you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. You fall before him. That's what all true believers do. Not like the Pharisees. They were trying to build their own resume to bring to the Lord. We don't see that with Ruth. Ruth's not building a resume. Ruth is broken and she's fallen on her face. And Boaz is providing all that she needs. In him is strength. Well, the gospel message to us is that in Jesus Christ is strength. He is our strength. He is the only way that we have to be right with God. He said, there is one way to the Father, and that is through me. So here we see a clear picture of the gospel. Boaz, the kins kinsman redeemer. And once again, I told you, I'm, I'm skimming the surface on this right now, and that's on purpose. Uh, we're gonna, we'll see in chapter 3 that we're going to unpack that even more. But we see the kinsman redeemer, Boaz, and God has provided him with the wealth and the power and the position and all the things that are needed to redeem Naomi and to redeem Ruth. 
And what I can tell you this morning without any hesitation is that Jesus Christ has the wealth and the power and the position and all that is needed to redeem his people. What a beautiful picture it is of the gospel. Reminds me in Hosea. We had a, a, somebody come to our chapel and speak on Hosea recently. And in the, it says there in Hosea chapter 1, In the place where it was said unto them, You are not my people. There it shall be said to them, Ye are the sons of the living God. So we see Ruth, this foreigner, who God is now saying, You are my people. Even though she doesn't feel that way, she, she doesn't come with that demand, God has made her his people. So the question then becomes, where are we seeking refuge today? If you're seeking refuge in anything else other than under the wings of God and trusting in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, then you have a false hope. There, there's no such thing as implicit faith. There's some people that preach that. That's false. That's wrong. If you are not trusting in the Lord and trusting in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, then you have a false hope. There is only one, one way to the Father, and that is through Jesus Christ. So where are you seeking refuge today? Hopefully not in your own works. Um, we see that that plainly is not the message of this passage, but it's in Christ alone. Now let's close with uh, Naomi the theologian again. We did the same thing with chapter 1. We're going to do it again in chapter 2. So as you notice, she's been really quiet. She hasn't been part of this story. It's been all about Ruth and Boaz through the whole chapter. Well, at the end of the day, Ruth's been um, working all day. Uh, she works till sundown, and then she returns home to Naomi. Just a really interesting little detail here. She brought her leftovers from lunch home for her mother-in-law. Isn't that interesting? Boaz gave her so much to eat that she had her fill, and then she saved the rest of it. She brought that home for Naomi. So she brings her some food home. She brings home all the grain that she's harvested all day. <coughs> and she tells her the story of what happened with Boaz. It's a pretty amazing story. And Naomi's theology of God's sovereignty begins to serve her well again right here. She says this uh, at the end of the passage. Blessed be he by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. So it's really interesting because if you just read that, you would think blessed be he, Boaz, that is Boaz, by the Lord, whose kindness? Well, who, who the who's talking about? What is that? Is that Boaz or is it the Lord? Well, I think it's the Lord. Blessed be he, Boaz, by the Lord, and then whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. That's not talking about Boaz. That's talking about the Lord. The Lord is the one that has not forsaken the living or the dead. So Naomi, in just this short period of time, has said, the Lord's against me. He's bringing down the thunder on me. It's nothing but just terribleness to the Lord hadn't forsaken us. In his providence and in his sovereignty, he has provided. The Lord has not forsaken the living or the dead. What a, a statement of faith. And I think she's referring to the Lord's kindness in that, not, not to Boaz. But isn't it, isn't it really interesting that Boaz is mentioned in that same verse? Because he was the instrument. Uh, one of the amazing things that I looked over so much until I really studied this passage is God, I always saw God working on Naomi and Ruth's side, okay? So he's over here in Moab, and he's doing this, and he's bringing them back, and then he's putting them in the right field at the all time. Did you know that God was working over here the whole time making Boaz a wealthy man and making him an elder in the city and making him a man of means? He was doing all that at the same time so that when this happened, he has the means and the ability and all the things that he needed to provide for Ruth and Naomi. Isn't that amazing? He's working on both ends 
of the equation at the same time. So the Lord's kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead, the living Naomi and Ruth or the dead, Elimelech and Chilion. It was the Lord who stopped the famine. It was the Lord who bound Ruth to Naomi. It was the Lord who preserved and empowered Boaz for Ruth. And Ruth didn't just happen to come to Boaz's field. He provided that as well. So the Lord is kind and he's good to all who take refuge under his wings. So may we find ways to do that in our lives that we'll trust him more, trust in his goodness and not in our own works and not in our own ways as we seek to live for him.